Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you all for having me with you tonight at the open table. This obviously is a worship community that comes to vibe and comes to celebrate. And I'm excited about that. You, you got to be excited that uh, with a group that starts with cool in the gang and ends with Gaga, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that. So thank you for having me here tonight. Uh, yeah, Latia told you a little bit about me, but uh, but just to to uh, give you some additional information, I am a disabled individual. Uh, you cannot tell from the little box that I'm coming to you in, but I am a person who uses a wheelchair. Uh, I'm a paraplegic uh, from a car accident from when I was seven years old. Uh, I am now the ripe old age of 40. So that means that 33 years of my life, I have used a wheelchair. Uh, and, uh, and as I tell people, and uh, I think as I may mention to you in my talk, uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, this is my normal. This is the life as I know it uh, and a life that... Uh, that I consider blessed, blessed and beautiful. So, um, but as we talk, I'm gonna, I'm gonna briefly share my screen so that we, oh, maybe I am. Let me, where did I do with my PowerPoint? Yeah, let me share this. And can everyone see this in front of you? All right. So I wanna give you a brief uh, roadmap of where we're going tonight. Um, first of all, I'm gonna start out by, uh, we're gonna talk about how we define disability a little bit. Um, I think disability is one of those things that we all come in with our own notions of what that term means or may not mean. Um, so we're gonna talk about it a little bit and try to define it a little bit amongst ourselves within a group. And then we're gonna talk about um, uh, labels and labeling. Um, how do we refer to people with disabilities? How do people with disabilities refer to themselves? Um, and uh, yeah, how should we how should we go about that? Because anytime I give these talks, that's one of the biggest questions I get is how should uh, what terms should I use? Uh, we're going to talk briefly about the idea of ableism uh, and how it fits in with the other isms of the world. Uh, and how it uh, affects people with disabilities. Um, and so these, these first three parts is gonna kind of do an overview of disability studies, something that is important for me, uh, important for the disability community. And then we're gonna jump into a little bit of, uh, I'm gonna give you guys some introductions, basic introductions into disability theology. And what does that mean? What does it mean to kind of marry these two things together, theology and disability? And, uh, and through that, we're going to talk about church relationships uh, and this idea of vulnerability. Um, uh, yeah, what, what does vulnerability mean and how, how can we use that? And then we're going to end up talking about uh, one of our favorite ideas within the disabled theology community, the idea of a disabled God. And what does it mean to, uh, to view God as a disabled God? Um, so that gives you a roadmap of where we're going, so what you can expect. Uh, so as we get started, I think we're going to have a time of breakout groups where I want us to define amongst our, or try to talk about amongst ourselves uh, three questions. Uh, first of all, I want to know from you all, how do you define disability? What does that mean for you? Uh, and then who is disabled? Wh who are we talking about when we talk about the disabled? And what does disability look like? All right. 
So I'm going to stop sharing. And then how we break, uh, I'm going to let us break off into our small groups. However, that is taking place. Awesome. You all should have gotten a request to join a Zoom, uh, Zoom breakout room and uh, have about seven minutes and we will see you here shortly. Um, and for those on Facebook, um, myself, Latia, Reverend Latia and Reverend Hank are going to be hanging back um, and kind of be in our own little breakout room with you. Um, so you should see those questions in the chat over on Facebook Live as well. So feel free to kind of join with us um, in that Facebook virtual space. Yeah, I think the first question was, how do you define disability? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I would define disability um, and it's a little bit of cheating for me, but hey, it's okay. I would define disability as a culture. Yeah. Well, and, and as you know, I mean, that's how I would define disability too. Uh, uh, it's it's a culture. It is how I it's how I identify. It's how I see the world, and um, and it's a it's a combination of of life circumstances and how society uh, recognizes those circumstances. I would also say, like, not to dismiss the fact that it also means that for me, there are some physical conditions related to that for other folks, some mental health conditions. Um, so it's not to, to deny the fact that there are things, but, uh, but I think that would be secondary to me. I think first it's a culture, second it's uh, those conditions. And I, yeah, and I'm gonna talk about this here in a little bit, but you know, that, and that's kind of how I understand the cultural model of disability is, is marrying those two things. And, I, and I'm, yeah, I'll talk about that Aaron, a little bit. What about you, Miss yeah. Maddie? Yeah, as the, as the person in the group without a disability, this is, um, this is like, these are questions that I have not considered before. Um, I, I think the first time I understood, even in a very small level, that disability was a culture is I, my foreign, like, my, like, uh, my second language in college was um, American Sign Language. And I remember we read a book our first semester about um, the discussion that goes on within the deaf community about people um, who are deaf. Actually, you know, there's a conversation around like cochlear implants and if they even want it to be a thing and um, realizing that so much of that is because like, well, that's our culture. Our culture is being deaf. And if we change that, like you're also changing our culture. And I was like, oh, it's it's a culture. And, and realizing that there was a whole other subset of... Um, yeah, identity markers inside of that. Yeah. Um, and also taking me out of the mind idea of like, oh, I assumed up until that point that everyone would want to live in the way that I do and realizing yeah. that there are other ways to live in my way, like my way in the body that I live in is not the only way and shouldn't be. But up until that point, I hadn't yeah. thought of that. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the, as a wheelchair user, I had a, I mean, it took me a while to come around to that recognition as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when it, when it comes to the, the diversity that is within the disability community, understanding that within that diversity, that there are other ways of living that I had trouble recognizing um, 
just because of my my ignorance around it and um and needing to realize oh wait that's uh i need to be more open to that so and i i guess i would say that within the disability community uh the disability community is large and it has communities within it so mm -hmm. uh because you brought it up, Maddie, most, I would say most is fair. Most uh, people in the deaf community do not consider themselves as part of the disability community. Um, mm -hmm. They are their own separate community. And uh, how they would express that is uh, the only thing that they cannot do is here. And really that's not their problem. It's ours for not being able to understand sign language. Mm -hmm. But there's there's a conflict at, within the rest of the disability community about that too. So right, yeah. Thanks for that, Latia. I didn't realize that. Thank you. Yeah. So who is disabled? Me. <laughs> I would say that um, as someone who has a physical disability, I would say I am. Yeah. I. This is an interesting thing. This is an interesting question for me and something I wrestle with also because it, there's an identity marker within it, a chosen identity within it, especially within cultural. And sometimes I look at people and I say, oh yeah, they're disabled, but I don't know whether they've taken on that for themselves. And so I'm like, mm -hmm. mm, can I say that about them? You know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, what well, what are your do you what are your thoughts on that, Latia? Uh, working with youth, that's a little hard for me um, because I had many many conversations when I work with youth with disabilities about I don't have a disability, I'm just different. While I can appreciate that and how their parents raise them, I also think because of the society we live in. Um, it's okay to name that you're disabled and that disability doesn't have to mean all those negative things that perhaps they have around it, right? That there's pride around that. And sometimes, yes, I get your point of like, I have to name that for myself, like to be disabled, but, but yes, I think that's easier for folks who might have invisible disabilities. It's a lot less easier for me because whether I name it for myself or not, that's how I encounter society. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with within people with very obvious physical disabilities, uh, choosing not to is part of an internalized ableism, right? Right. Yeah. But I think folks who might have invisible disabilities, it could be the struggle is different. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Maddie, will they? Uh, will I have a quick chance to ask everybody to shoot fires? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm -hmm. Did we have anything in Facebook, by, way, by the way? Or? Not okay. right now, not so far. Okay. I think everybody's back, looks like. Is this everyone? All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, I want to give you uh, a wait. I'm so sorry. We're waiting on three more folks. Oh, oh here they okay. come. I think they're I think they're pinging back right now. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Is this everybody now? All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, 
to the large group. I want to give you a chance, uh, after, since you've had a chance to go over those questions, um, let's just uh, fire off some of your answers real quick. The, the first question is, was how do you define disability? Do, does somebody just want to shoot some of those uh, answers out here real quick? I'll start. I, I, we talked about it being uh, both a culture first and then uh, conditions. Someone in my group mentioned mental or physical. It can be mental and physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And trust me, these are not like gotcha questions. These are just to to get a like a, a frame for what, what you're thinking, thinking about what that term means and everything. So okay, the second question was who is disabled? Who would you say is disabled? Lati and I very spoke up early and said, we are, we're disabled. I think our group, um, between this and the next question, we, we kind of were just like, it's really hard to like pin down a definition because it's so across the board and it, look, it looks different for everyone. I mean, obviously a lot of disability is hidden um, and it's not like easily, but even for those who like may more be more obviously disabled, like it's like such a huge spectrum and it looks so different in everybody. So I feel like this is super hard definition <laughs> and super hard thing to pin down. And, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's all. I think our, that was kind of our group consensus is like, these are hard questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are super hard questions. Um, but when what you realize is when you're living within the disability community, and, and Latia may be able to speak to this, is they are really hard questions but a lot of times they, uh, there are institutions or agencies or identities that try to oversimplify this term, right? Uh, that try to just say, okay, disabled, it meets this nice little box and this is what you, these are the things you are granted because you're disabled and not granted. And this, these are the assumptions I'm gonna make of, of you, right? Um, and and that's, that's sometimes the reality of being disabled. Um, and, and there, there's a lot that comes within that. I'm going to share my screen again and continue on uh, with with the with the the presentation. Uh, let, first of all, let me say though, thank you for those of you who are sharing, uh, who shared uh, some of your your thoughts. I'm going to give some very oversimplified definitions of disability, though. Uh, the ADA which is often used to define disability because it uh, is defined by many as the civil rights legislation of people with disabilities, uh, the law for people with disabilities. It says, a, uh, a di sorry, disability is a physical or mental impairment that substanti substantially limits one or more major life activities, right? Um, this, it, it, and what we're going to talk about little here in a little bit, this is kind of the medical model of disability, understanding disability from a medical perspective of something that is impaired with the body 
usually these are things that are very obvious to the eye or to the senses, and they, they alter major life activities. Uh, the CDC has a definition that I like a little bit better, though it's not great, but it says um, disability is any condition of the body or mind, which is an impairment, that makes it more difficult for the person with the condition to do certain activities, which is activity limitation, and interact with the world around them, participation restriction. I think that participation restriction is a key thing for disability. Uh, often disability are things that limit us within community, limit us within society. Um, and we're gonna talk about here in a little bit, there's, uh, there's a social model of disability that, that plays here a little bit. Uh, that is that is really important for us to think about. Um, next, it's important for us to, to look at the numbers of, of disa disability in the United States. Uh, in the United States, 26% of the population or one in four people has a disability. Often people are kind of surprised by this because that seems like a pretty high number, right? Uh, in Missouri, uh, for those of you who are living in Missouri, it's 29.1% of the population has a disability. In Kansas, it's a little bit less. I don't know if any of y'all are the Kansas side of Kansas City, uh, but it's 24.7% of the population has a disability. And what you see um, as you go by state, and state to state, sometimes these numbers go higher, sometimes they go lower. What's interesting to see is oftentimes they go higher in states that are more restrictive of healthcare or medical issues. Um, when, when healthcare is restricted, uh, there's often you see higher rates of disability uh, within a society. Um, and, and we definitely see that. I, I'm from Oklahoma. I can't remember, it's 32% of the population, I believe, in Oklahoma uh, has some sort of disability. Um, those are just interesting things to know. Like I said, oftentimes people are surprised by these numbers because they don't often realize that such a high percentage of the population is living with a disability. Uh, part of that reason is they feel like they don't really interact on a daily basis with many people who have, uh, have disabilities. And um, as I said, I think partly, uh, though it was mentioned, like it's hard to really define disability, um, but sometimes we have kind of a narrow visual I, uh, in our mind of what a disability looks like, right? Uh, oftentimes when, when we think of disability, uh, oftentimes people are thinking of this. Now this is the universal sign for accessibility uh, in the United States. This has often been called a handicap sign. Uh, we, they, we just can't change that language as much as I would like to. Uh, but this is the universal sign for disability. And so oftentimes when people say disability or disabled, they think of somebody, some dude in a wheelchair, right? Uh, which is me, uh, I'm some dude in a wheelchair. I am typically what uh, people think of as disability or sometimes what I have found in church culture, if somebody says disability, the mind often goes to special needs ministries or someone with Down syndrome. Sometimes it depends on the context that you're in. It becomes very, very narrow-minded, and we forget that disability within itself, the disability community, is a very wide and diverse community. Though we often think of this, actually, disability often looks like more like this, right? These, uh, this is the the 
universal sign for accessibility, but within it is uh, are the multitude of disabilities that uh, that are out there. Uh, so within this, we may have those with, uh, like myself, with physical disabilities, those with visual disabilities, um, those who may have hearing disabilities, and those with mental health, cognitive, or learning disabilities are all represented within this group. Um, and we have to remember that when we're talking about disability, we're talking about that wide uh, diversity that exists within this community, right? That there are many things that are going on. Uh, and it's important to remember, uh, as, uh, as uh, someone mentioned earlier, is that a lot of times with disabilities, sometimes we're also talking about hidden disabilities. Um, hidden disabilities are often, I believe, sometimes the uh, bring about within the most struggle, right? Because oftentimes you're uh, operating outside of what is considered the norm of society, but people don't, don't recognize why that is, right? When people look at me and I'm like, hey, I got a problem going up some steps, they know why that is, right? They know it's because, well, you look, you're on four wheels, that makes sense. But if you're somebody who is having struggle, struggling within a community, keeping up with the conversation, that you're having trouble staying focused because you're ADHD, or, or, or maybe you look normal, but every once in a while you got a, a verbal tick or something that is caused by Tourette syndrome. People don't always know how to deal with that because that's not what they expected out of you, right? And so that might cause more struggles. And sometimes we have to be mindful that people are living with those hidden disabilities. Um, and, um, and, and that can be something that, uh, in my mind, sometimes can be uh, cause greater uh, oppression, uh, greater, greater issues that they deal with. Um, we have to, be, have to be mindful that there are also a lot of over, overlaps that we need to be aware of uh, with disability in the elderly communities within our, uh, our church congregations or our community at large. Uh, this is often tough because uh, those who are elderly do not necessarily uh, see themselves as disabled uh, and they don't, ne they don't necessarily want to identify as disabled. However, um, their participation or marginalization within the community may be the same as those who are disabled. Uh, because of issues that they are they are facing within their bodies, right? Um, so it's important, also important for us to talk about this language and labeling issue. Um, first of all, the first thing that I want to say and that I that I want to uh, bring up is that um, the word "disabled" and "disability" are not dirty words, right? Uh, they are. Uh, it is a part of my identity. It is a part of my culture. It is a part of who I am. And it's not something I'm going, not something I'm going to hide, but neither is it something that I can hide, right? Um, and, it, and the truth is oftentimes people have this negative culture, uh, historically has had this net, put this negative, uh, this negative sense around disability or disabled, right? Uh, because we see it as a negative. We see it as something that uh, is uh, prohibitive in life and it doesn't allow us to freely live and freely be who we are. That's what most society tells us. And so what happens is a lot of times uh, people want to uh, people want to put cutesy euphemisms around the term or they want to change the term, which we're going to talk about. Um, 
And when people talk about disability in a negative light, it creates what is called an internalized ableism within the disabled community, right? Uh, you see this a lot with teenagers who have disabilities. Uh, I spent most of my teenage years, uh, you know, this is a term within the disability community. It's also a term within many other communities. I spent a lot of time within my, my teenage years trying to pass, pass as normal, right? Or trying to be as normal as possible. I wanted, to, when people looked at me I, and got to know me, it was beauty to my ears when I would hear them say, huh, I don't think of you as disabled, right? Um, but that's, that's not true. That's not who I am. And me doing that is creating an internalized ableism because it creates within me this need to overcome something in which I'm never going to be able to overcome, right? And it makes me ashamed of and embarrassed of who I am because society has put all this negative around the term disability. Um, so, so I just want to start out by, use, by putting that out there that we've got to stop thinking of dis disabled and disability in negative lights because truthfully it is a part of the human condition. Uh, it, is, it is something that many of us are and what we live with and it's something that many of us have the possibility of becoming in our lifetimes. Um, uh, you know, there's a saying within the disability community, if you haven't been affected by disability now, just wait a tick, you're going to be at some point, right? Uh, because it is, it is the reality of what it means to be human. Um, it's also important for us to allow individuals to label and identify themselves. Uh, this is important because um, historically, uh, mainly a medical community has put terms of what it means on disabled people, right? And they have labeled them what they will. And also caretakers, parents of disabled people have chosen for them what their labels are. Um, we don't need to assume what we call somebody. We need to ask them what they want to identify as themselves, right? Uh, um, because that's being able to label and identify yourself is an act of empowerment. And it gives you uh, that power over that identity within yourselves. And so when you're in something, when you're in a larger community and you may present somebody uh, and you may ask them like, hey, I am not quite sure how you uh, want your disability labeled or identified. How do you, what, what do you like to, to go by? Usually they like to go by their name, um, but when they, when they are adding on identifiers, ask them what they want to choose for that. Usually there's two acceptable for, forms. One is person first language. That is, you're just saying, this is a person with a disability, or this is, um, this is a person who has, like myself, I'm a paraplegic. This is a person with paraplegia, right? The, the idea behind person first language is we're, we're, or we're emphasizing the personhood that resides within that person before we talk about their disability. Um, this is really important for uh, in the 70s and 80s when the disability activism community was coming about and they were uh, wrestling away from that medical model their own empowerment, it was, hey, I'm a person. And there are many people within the disabled community that go by this. If you're putting out any publications, I would say mostly use person first language because that's gonna uh, keep you the safest. Uh, but there are also those like myself and I believe Latia who use identity first language. 
uh, I identify as a disabled person, uh, partly because uh, as Latia and I talked about, there's pride within that, right? There is pride in saying I am a disabled person. There's also political power within that. It gives me, it's a part of a political group that is disabled and it's reclaiming that term for myself and saying, this is who I am. I'm not gonna be ashamed of it. And damn it, I'm gonna go out there and live in this body in the world. Um, and so that's important to know that there are a lot of people uh, who those are the really the, the two most acceptable terms. Here are some things that I believe you need to avoid. Um, one, I, I mentioned this a little bit ago earlier, you really need to avoid cutesy terms or metaphors. Uh, one that really drives me crazy, but I have to be careful with is the term differently abled. This is a term that tries to get thrown on us all the time, partly because people don't want to use the term disabled and are trying to hide the word disabled, right? Um, and so they want to use this term differently abled because they want to, what they're trying to say is, well, we don't want to make you feel different, but you just said I'm different because you called me differently abled, um, right? Um, but I have to be careful with this because there are people, especially those who are newly disabled, who claim, who grab onto this term, right? Because they are really struggling with this new identity that they're coming about, that they are disabled. And something that I have to recognize and, and, and uh, give room for is that somebody, say there's somebody in their 20s or 30s who has a car accident, that, that is a real life change that they are going through. And so to automatically be able to grab onto the term disabled is something that they're going to have a hard time with. So they choose that term differently abled. Um, now, I can roll my eyes at it and, and I recognize that, but that is something that a person is choosing to uh, to label themselves as. More often than not, though, what we see are parents of disabled children who really want to use this term uh, because they don't want their children to be labeled as disabled. I get that. I'm all for it. Um, but for me and the majority of the disabled community, we would rather you not use that term uh, because it's a little bit offensive, as I said, because it's hiding this, 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 this disability and it's saying there's something wrong with being disabled. Um, another term to steer where, uh, stay away from, this word, this term challenged. Um, I don't know what that means. Am I competing for something? Am I, are you challenging me to a duel? I don't know what that means. I, I mean, I know what you think it means, right? It means that I have a harder time getting around. I just don't like that term and most everybody doesn't like that term either. Um, other language that you should uh, really avoid using, outdated language, such as the term handicap. This isn't the 1950s. We don't, we're not referred to that as anymore, right? So, um, so we'd rather you leave that language behind. That's something we've left behind. Uh, we want everybody else to. And that's the, like, when you see go out and like, the only things I really know that are labeled handicap anymore are parking spots. And it drives me nuts. Like in England, they've gotten past that. They use accessible spots. I really appreciate that more or blue badge spots is what they call them because the blue badge placard that goes on your car if, if you have a disabled packer, uh, placard. Um, so yeah, outdated term, let's not use it. Terms that are confusing, otherly abled, WTF, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, um, and handy capable. Somebody uh, several years ago said, oh, it's so amazing that you're handy capable. And I'm like, 
what the hell does that even mean? You, you combined an outdated term and a stupid term. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said stupid. But um, yeah, just stay away from it. It, it doesn't help. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's move forward. Uh, let's talk about ableism a little bit. Ableism at its basic level is just discrimination in favor of able-bodied people and against those with disabilities. A lot of times, sometimes this discrimination can be outright uh, and intentional. A lot of times it's unintentional, right? A lot, of, a lot of discrimination we face in the world is unintentional discrimination. Sometimes people don't know any better. Sometimes they just never thought about it. Um, and, um, and yeah, so we, we face a lot of discrimination that way. Um, but it's based on this assumption that there is a normal and anything that falls outside of that is abnormal, right? So for us, for, for myself, for Latia, it's this assumption that there is a normal body out there, which is often a white, straight male that stands upright on both feet, right? And anything that falls outside of that is abnormal. I, I put in the white straight because often that's what people are thinking of. But for the disability, it's like a body that stands upright and walks around, right, on both feet um, and, and is, is, has normal brain functioning and is able to operate within society on a quote normal level, right? Uh, and anything that falls outside of this is abnormal. Um, but it doesn't make room for consider the needs of those with disabilities. Uh, and especially around planning spaces or activities, right? Churches are really bad about this, uh, unfortunately. Um, most church spaces I know are horribly inaccessible. Uh, and if they, if they have made room to make the worship space inaccessible or some classrooms inaccessible, I'm sorry, if they made room to make the worship space accessible, or classrooms accessible, there are many, many other areas within their congregation that are horribly inaccessible, right? Because they don't allow for the full inclusion of people with disabilities. Um, and whenever churches oftentimes meet these needs, they are considered, quote, special needs. Uh, uh, and uh, what, that's where we get special needs ministries, right? Um, and what we have to be careful with that because often when we talk about special needs ministries, these are often things that are considered optional. And, and when we talk about special needs ministries, I, I tell people on a church sense, we're really meaning one thing. One, oftentimes, and I have to be careful here, but oftentimes what we really mean, it's a babysitting service, right? For, uh, for parents who need a little time away and need to be in the worship service. I, that's great. I understand that. Uh, but in a church sense, they're not doing a lot for a discipleship growth for that individual who has the disability. Um, and I say they're often deemed optional because a lot of times churches are like, well, you know, if we have the money for it, well, we can maybe do something around special needs ministries, but it's not like, hey, it's something I got to do. Um, and it's this way really within society at large as well. Um, and I talked about internalized ableism real quick, uh, a little bit. Uh, this is just a little cartoon, but um, says, I'll never get a job. I'm not good enough. I'm broken and need to be fixed. I'm asking for too much. These are all thoughts most disabled people have gone through at some point in their life. Um, and it's, it's a reality because in a world that functions with this assumption of normality, um, people with disabilities see themselves as a hindrance. They see themselves as not being able to 
successfully function. And if they do, they are seen as an inspiration or they are seen as overcoming, right? Overcoming such great odds. But it's not, it's never seen as like, oh, I'm so glad that you as an individual overcame this. It's not, hey, what can we as a society do to change things so that we're all on an even playing field, right? Um, and so we have to be mindful of, of how that operates. All right. Uh, I know I'm getting long-winded here, so I'll go through these quick. I talked about the models of disability. These are important within disability culture because uh, it's just a little bit of our history and how you know. Um, most things have operated for a majority of time under the medical model of disability. Uh, this says uh, people are disabled by their impairments and differences, not by what the person needs, right? So it's this idea that there's something wrong with your body. Um, with me, my legs don't work. So that is what's wrong with my body. Um, and, and as such, that needs to be fixed, right? Um, I always think of a lot of times you see these, I, I get so many Facebook messages or so people send me so many things on Facebook like, oh my gosh, look, Hank, they created this wheelchair that stands you upright and you can be standing like everybody else. Yeah, that doesn't really fix the problem, does it? Um, and, uh, and it's trying to fix the problem, but that's not who I am, right? Um, and, but it's this, it's this need to try to fix my body that they see as abnormal. Um, uh, and it's like, if they, if, if they think that if we were to fix that need, it would give me more freedom. Churches mostly operate under this model, right? That, that there is something wrong with this body and we need to fix or heal it, right? Uh, there's a lot of healing ministries praying for the healing of this individual because we need to normalize their body, right? Um, we need to be mindful of what, what model we're operating under. Um, then there's the social model of disability, right? This was a response by disabled activists really kind of in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. It was a response to the medical model. This says that disability occurs because of the barriers that exist within society, not because of any impairment to my body. This moves the focus from an individual to the community, and it says barriers can be either physical or attitudinal. So what this would look like for me, uh, this says my wheelchair is not the thing that disables me or my legs not working is not the thing that disables me. What really disables me is I live in a society that is full of stairs and no ramps and does not, um, and does not offer me access to that society, right? Um, so, um, so really there was a big movement, 70s and 80s to get curb cutouts, right? I always use this because this is an easy thing to think about. If I'm going through downtown Knoxville, I wouldn't be able to, op to push around downtown Knoxville if it weren't for curb cutouts, right? Uh, because I would be hampered from getting uh, from intersection to intersection. But because they made curb cutouts, it makes that access really, uh, really available to me. It was, just, it was this social model of disability that said, hey, society can fix itself so that we can get around. What they found out is that it was universally good because mothers with baby strollers could use them, right? Whoa, it was amazing. And then uh, there were a lot of other things that took place that really helped out other people in society as well. Uh, what we've really seen within the past, I think, five to 10 years, there's this model of disability that has shown up called the cultural model of disability. This is where I tend to see myself right now. 
Um, this defines disability as the social experience of persons with disabilities with certain impairments. Um, it acknowledges that there are impairments with the body, right? Um, uh, but living within society, society rather, there are experiences that I have as a paraplegic wheelchair user that other people are not going to have. In my experiences, the, the, the things that I experience, the, the discrimination, the struggles I experience may coincide with the experiences that Tia may face as a person with cerebral palsy. And so because we have some of those common experiences, we are a disabled culture, right? And, and we are a part of a culture that really no one else understands and fits within because we have this, uh, this lived experience of disability. Um, it recognizes, honestly, both the social and medical component to disability. Uh, and it says that, yeah, you know what, we need to recognize that there really is suffering that happens when impairments come about. Like, sometimes there are impairments that cause a lot of suffering and pain within people, and we need to acknowledge that. But at the same time, there are some things within society that are really jacked up and that really cause us uh, additional struggle, and we need to address that also. Uh, but as I said, it looks at the overall culture of disability. Um, before I jump into theology, any questions, anything that needs to be clarified from the group? All right, so let's jump into some disabled theology. Um, so, Disabled theology is a form of theology that uh, comes out of, I would say, both the feminist theology branches and liberation theology branches of, of theology. Um, it really, I think it really took off in the, the early to mid 90s uh, is where you really started to see it come about. Um, but um, it's largely gone unnoticed amongst the larger theology theology communities. Um, and it, uh, I would say it's really taking off a little bit within the past 10 years. There has been some acknowledgement, some recognition of it, but I still don't think it's enough. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what we need, what we mean by we talk about disability theology. Um, a disability theologian named John Swinton, who himself is not disabled, uh, but does a lot of work within and is well known within the disability theology community says that disability theology is the attempt by disabled and non-disabled Christians to understand and interpret the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, and humanity against the backdrop of the historical and contemporary experiences of people with disabilities. Seems pretty self-explanatory. It's just saying, hey, we're going to look at scripture, and we're going to look at church culture, and we're going to look at overall theology, but we're going to put it we're going to emphasize the lens of those who have disability, right? And we're going to look at it through that lens, and we're going to critique scripture a little bit through that lens and, and, and critique our historical uh, nature of the church through that lens a little bit, right? Um, another wonderful theologian who does happen to be herself disabled is uh, Deborah Beth Creamer. Uh, and she, uh, she has this quote, uh, honestly, Latia used this a while back on one of her uh, presentations. I saw it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to use that. Um, and so, but, uh, but Deborah Creamer says, 
When church members are asked about disability issues in their congregation, most will respond with a discussion of ways they have learned to respond to individual impairments, usually through changes in architecture or assistive technology, ramps, elevators, sound systems, and the phrase, please stand if you are able, are seen as fulfilling church obligation to people with disabilities. Disability activists, however, however, observe that today most denominations and many local congregations realize that church facilities should be constructed or altered to encourage the presence of persons with, dis with disabilities. Yet little effort has been made to promote the full participation of people with disabilities in life of the church. So what Deborah is doing here is she's critiquing what historically has happened within the church in an effort to be more inclusive um, of, of groups overall, but also the disability community, really the church has done the bare minimum. What they said is like, hey, we're gonna cut out a little section in these church pews so that you can fit your chair nice and neatly in it. We may even make the restrooms where you can get into them, but they really do very little to, uh, to make, disabled people full participants into the body of Christ, right? Really churches have done very little to uh, welcome or acknowledge this cultural experience of disability. Uh, they've done really very little to, uh, to get people with disabilities in things like say the choir or, uh, or into certain, uh, certain Sunday school classes or God forbid to even see them as leaders or preachers within a congregation, right? because to do so would be to uh, uh, damage this idea that we have of what a preacher or a leader or a church member should be, right? Because it's not supposed to be the dude in the wheelchair, or it's not supposed to be uh, the dude that talks funny because he has cerebral palsy, right? Um, it, those are things that... Uh, that uh, Deborah is really critiquing here and something that I think needs to be critiqued within the overall church culture. Um, I wanted to throw these out here. These are some important terms. I'm not gonna be able to get to all of them. I know, my, I know I'm running long-winded here. Uh, these are important terms to note for disability theology. One, we need to understand that there's a difference between healing and curing, right? Healing is something that we all need within our lives. Um, healing is something that uh, that we all have struggles in our life. We all need some healing. Curing is when somebody wants to be cured of an impairment that they have, right? Or some, or uh, say that I had a desire to make my legs work. I would want my legs to be cured of that. That's not necessarily the same as healing, though we often confuse those two. Healing is something that we all need uh, and something that universally everyone needs. Oftentimes this idea of sin and disability gets confused within churches. Uh, mainly in, within progressive churches, we've kind of moved past it a little bit, but not all the time. Uh, sometimes people get this sin and disability conflation uh, confused and sometimes think that uh, if somebody is disabled, maybe they have a sin going on in their lives or maybe their parents sinned or, or something they did was wrong in their lives. And so now they're having to atone for that through this disability. Eh, that's all pretty much bull crap. Um, what... Uh, what is true is like, traditionally we might say within the church that, hey, guess what? Everybody's got sin within their lives uh, or things that they're dealing with. Uh, people with disability, they're people, right? So maybe they do have sin in their lives, but 
it's not the cause, right? Exactly. Um, so we got to be mindful of that. Uh, this idea of a disabled God, which I'm going to hit at a little bit, image of God, which is important. I'm going to hit on that a little bit also. Accessibility. Is your church accessible? What do you mean by accessible? It doesn't just mean a ramp. It also means uh, fully inclusive, right? So are your, are, your, are your worship services, are your ministries, are your Sunday school classes fully accessible in every way that that might mean? Uh, I put this term power of limitations in here. This is a term that a friend of mine named Jonathan Campbell came up with and has used recently. Um, I, you'll hear me talk a little bit about vulnerability, which vulnerability is a, is a tricky term uh, to talk about. I think I'm going to start using this term power limitations because I like the way it is. It's a recognition that within each and every one of our bodies, we have some limitations. People with disabilities sometimes have more profound limitations than others, but there's power within that, right? And within that power, it's because um, it draws community together. When we all recognize our limitations, we all recognize the things that, uh, that we're going to depend on other people for, there's power in that because it can draw a community together and it can, it can help us all come together as a people, right? And, but a lot of times we have trouble recognizing those things. Uh, and lastly, the body of Christ and community, which are important for disabled people uh, for making sure that we have recognition within the body of Christ and within the overall community. I'm going to speed through this. I'm so sorry. I'm taking so long. Um, real quick, Genesis 1, 26 through 28 from the message says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, uh, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth, God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. That is my God voice, right? So what are we talking about when we say here? A couple of things I want to point out really quick. I always do when I do this talk. I love the message here, one, because uh, it, it uses some language that I find a little bit more accessible uh, for me as a disabled person. But the main thing that I want to point out, which was, uh, which was pointed out earlier by, I believe it was Tony, um, it, it, this emphasis that in this very first sentence says, let us make, let us make human beings in our image, right? Uh, anybody who has gone through any sort of like, uh, theological training or or any kind of study over this scripture, they always emphasize like takes a look like, oh, what does it mean us? That's new, right? Oh, we think it's one God there doing all this, but he says us, right? And so there's this debate like, oh, what does that us mean? What do they mean when they say are? Um, and it's like, well, they could be talking like in this old traditional sense that it was written in and, and God was sitting there and he's talking about the the cool gang of angels that are chilling behind him and they're looking at God's work, right? And God's like, hey, looking over, shoulder, hey, we're going to make these dudes in our image, right? Or, or, or people in our image. Or, you know, sometimes there's the traditional understanding of the Trinity and that says, hey, it was God chilling with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he's like, hey, we're three in one. So let's let us make them in our image, right? I don't know what it means. Uh, but here's what I do know. From the very beginning, God was in some sort of community, right? 
and God was in, in a community with others. And when God said, let us make them in our image, he meant he also wanted to make people who were supposed to be in community because God and God's self was in community to be made in the image of God also means to be made in community, right? And, and to be about community, right? And, and part of what it meant to be in community was to, and, and to be made in the image of God was meant that we had this responsibility to care for the other creatures of the earth, right? And, and, I, and I like that responsibility and care in, in the message because it's not domineering, which we see in other translations, right? And it's not like have dominion over, right? Blah. It's responsible for and care for, right? And so what that means and why that's important for the disabled community is it means that when we're made in the image of God, one, disabled people, just like everyone else, are meant to be a part of that community and we're meant to care for them and allow them to care for us, right? And, and that's something that we often miss within this is because humans are supposed to care for, but creation also cares for community or, or cares for humanity, right? And, and that's what it means to be made in the image of God. And that's, that's important for disabled people because it allows us and it recognizes us as a part of that community right, and made in the image of God, despite what the rest of society may think of uh, what the normal body may look like, right, um, and, and that's a really important thing that I think it, to, to look at. Um, there was a disabled theologian that picked up on this a little bit. Um, his name was Thomas Reynolds, also not a disabled person. I emphasize that because there are not enough disabled people allowed space to actually write about disabled theology, which I think is a problem. It's getting better, but uh, it is a, it is a, a kind of a, a source of, a, it's a wound for me that, uh, that I bring up over and over again. Um, but, um, but I think Thomas Reynolds' work is really good. Um, Latia does not so much, so you can talk to you about that later. Um, but uh, in this book called Vulnerable Communion, uh, Thomas Reynolds brought up this idea that um, within society, we tend to operate within what he calls this cult of normalcy, right? That, uh, in which I've already talked about, we had this idea of what it means to be normal. Uh, and we, we had this idea of what it means to have normal bodies and anything that, that doesn't fit within that is abnormal, right? And he says, we have this cult of normalcy but we also operate within what he calls an, an economy of exchange, right? And, and within this economy of exchange, I'm going, he says that most people interact with and relate with people that they think might have the most to offer them, right? Because that's the way our, we think in order to uh, get further or succeed in, in society, whether consciously or unconsciously, I connect myself to people that I think I'm going to get something out of that relationship. Um, and he says, unfortunately, because disabled bodies are seen as abnormal, um, they are often pushed to the margins and they are 
often denied relationship with people uh, because they are not seen as having enough to offer the rest of humanity. And so people with disabilities are pushed to the margins. Uh, they are ignored uh, or they are pitied or charitied, right? Or given charity, but not offered a real relationship with. What he says is we have to come to a realization that each and every one of our bodies are what he calls vulnerable, right? That we all have limitations. We all have things within our bodies that when we're truthful with ourselves would fall outside of the abnormal. Um, but the truth is to, to have deficiencies in your body really is the normal, right? And that we have to embrace that. But because we're so afraid of falling out of this economy of exchange, we have trouble embracing what he calls those vulnerabilities. And we have trouble embracing our deficiencies or acknowledging those deficiencies because we are afraid that it's gonna make us one of the outcasts, right? He says, this is really problematic for people with disabilities because oftentimes people such as myself who have no choice but to live within those disabilities uh, or live with that very obvious disabilities, oftentimes we're pushed to the margins or, or people with very profound disabilities are pushed to the margins because we're not seen as having enough to offer. And he says, you know, that's, that's really problematic. And, and he says that's really, that in his, in his eyes is really sin. Because as he says, we're called to be in relationship with everybody, to be in community with everybody. But when we deny our vulnerabilities and as such deny, uh, when we deny our vulnerabilities, we're denying the image of God that was created within ourselves. And we're denying the image of God that was created in people with disabilities. And by denying that relationship with them, that is the true sinful nature. And that is a breakdown of community. But he says the opposite needs to happen. He says the, we need to recognize uh, those. He says, what he says is God intentionally made us with those vulnerabilities so that we all depend on one another, so that we are all in community together. And so that we are truly building up the kingdom of God. He says to acknowledge those vulnerabilities is truly what it means to be made in the image of God and to depend on one another uh, is truly what it means to be in the image of God. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not going to talk on these too much. There was a group when I was in England. It was awesome. It's called FAB. I didn't like the name. The name was People Have Abilities. I think it's a stupid name, but it was a good group. Uh, it was a church. It was a group of church people who came together, welcomed people within the community that had pretty profound disabilities. And it truly was a social club in which they were all on an even playing field. These are some of the people that were in it. Amazing people. I loved it. I love each one of them dearly. Uh, I think it's a great model for churches. If you have questions about it, email me. I'll talk to you more about it. Um, this is what it means. This is the disabled God part I want to talk about. Um, Thomas Reynolds is playing off of this, which is done by this amazing woman named uh, Nancy Eastland. She wrote the book called Disabled God. But she starts with this scripture from 
uh, John 20, 24 through 28, talking about Thomas, when Thomas uh, experiences Jesus with the wounds. It says, but Thomas, who's called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, which is kind of a weird thing to do, but that's what he wanted. He says, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So in, in Nancy Eastland's book, she says, um, for her, she came to this true epiphany of God that said that she saw God in the image of a person using a sit puff wheelchair. If you're not familiar with what a sit puff wheelchair is, it's something that a quadriplegic might use who do, does not have use of his, his, his or her uh, or their lower extremities. Um, and uh, they use a, a, a straw-like thing to blow into and it helps move their wheelchair. Um, and for Nancy, she acknowledges that symbolism within the church culture is important. In fact, that's what the cross is. It's taking a symbol that has been often seen in the past as a, a negative thing and repurposing it to give it hope and freedom. She says oftentimes a sit puff wheelchair is, would be one of those things seen as something limiting, but truthfully is something powerful. And so she saw God in the image of someone using a sit puff wheelchair because it was powerful, life-giving to her. And that's how she recognized God. And she took that further and she said, hey, we need to recognize that in the scriptures, in the story that we've been told, after Jesus died, was crucified on the cross, and when Jesus was resurrected and came back from the tomb, he still had those darn wounds in his body. His body was not perfect as the world sees it. His body was disabled. And she said, if after the resurrection, Jesus was disabled, and not just disabled, but disabled so that his disciples could recognize him, maybe that says something about who we are as humans, too that it's not such a bad thing to be disabled, that there's power in that, that there can be salvation in that. And our bodies within, with, with our wounds is something to be embraced and something to be recognized. And the disabled community latched onto this because it said, this is a God that recognizes my body. This is a God that says there's nothing wrong with who I am. And for me to have the wounds of my body is what it means to be whole, W-H-O-L-E. But it's also what it means to be holy, H-O-L-Y. And that's who we're called to be. So in everything we do, let us remember the disabled God that through his resurrection embraced his humanity 
embraced his wounds so that he could further the community and further the kingdom of God. Amen.